Let me read again the passage of Scripture that we've read the last two Sundays that we've looked at this. We've begun a study on second chance God. We've read from Matthew 26, 30 to 35, and let's read these verses again. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter declared the hymn, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Now listen to this. Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Today, even in this hour, do we need a second chance? And as we've been talking for two weeks about this, and again, I hope you take this to heart, do we need a second chance to respond to the invitation of Jesus to receive his love and forgiveness and salvation? Our Lord wants you and I to know him as our personal Savior. Our Lord died on the cross so that we could be freed from the sin that we've committed and from the penalty of sin, which is eternal death and separation from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. God does not desire any of that for us. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, invited people to come to him and receive his love and forgiveness and the salvation of God. Do you need... For the first time, although the Lord has offered you that salvation many times, do you need to respond today and receive Christ as your Savior? And secondly, as Christians, do we need to respond to God's call on our lives? Jesus never saves anyone and forgets about them until he calls them to heaven. Jesus, after we are saved, has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And he wants that to become a reality. So often we struggle with it. We fight against it. And so often all of us need a second chance as Christians to follow the Lord. But let me point something out to you in this next slide on the overhead. The Bible is full of people whom God gave second chances. And I've just listed just a couple, Peter and the disciples. We're going to be looking at those right now. But think about some of the other people in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The next person that we're going to go to after today is Jonah, the Old Testament prophet. And I want to encourage you this week. Jonah only has four chapters. I I didn't count the verses. But I guarantee you, you'll never find a more exciting story than the book of Jonah. And yes, I believe Jonah got swallowed by a great fish that God had prepared to get him in his will. I hope you'll take time. This is going to be your homework assignment, so to speak, okay? Read the book of Jonah. Make some notes. Study it, especially chapters 1 and 2. How about the woman at the well, John chapter 4? Lost in sin. So bad, so unloved, that no one would allow her to come and draw water from the well when everybody else did. She had to come by herself. Jesus meets her. And he gives her a new life. How about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8? 
worthy of stoning according to the laws of the Old Testament, Jesus says, go and sin no more. He gives her a second chance. How about Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known? You remember this man was a murderer. This man was a persecutor of Christians of the church. God gave him a second chance. How about King David, a man who had been king over Israel, a man whom God had blessed, but he committed adultery and murder and lying. God gave him a second chance. How about you? How about me? Do we need a second chance? Well, folks, here's the good news. Our God is a God of second chances. Now, let's go back to Matthew chapter 26. I hope you've got your Bibles open. Friend, you don't have to go back to it on the, on the screen. But look at the scripture that we read. In verse 30, Jesus has just finished the Lord's Supper, the Passover, with his disciples. They're going to the Mount of Olives where there was a garden called Gethsemane. Now, folks, we find from John chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, and those are going to be on the screen. I want to read these to you. John chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples across, across a Kidron Valley where there was a garden where he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. And let me underscore that last phrase. Folks, it seems as if to Jesus, this was a place to go and retreat with the disciples. And this was not the first time that Jesus had gone with the disciples to this garden called Gethsemane. And he went there so frequently that Judas, who was betraying him, knew that Jesus would go with his disciples to Gethsemane. So he gets the soldiers that are going to capture Jesus and they go to Gethsemane. But folks, notice again back in Matthew chapter 25, verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now folks, just think about this for just a second. First of all, it was customary after the Passover, as it concluded for the people, the Jewish people, doing the Passover to sing a hymn. But folks, I want to ask you something. And I want to pose this question, how in the world could Jesus sing a hymn? Now, again, think about this. Now, don't take this as I'm being critical. I am so grateful, it seems to me, that more and more people are beginning to sing in the worship service, and that just thrills my soul to death. Now, I know that some of you don't feel like your voices are very well, and you're embarrassed that perhaps, or you think that you would be embarrassed if you sang. I don't, I don't care how you sing. If you sing like Barney Fife, just cut loose, okay? Because you're not singing to the person beside you or in front of you or back uh, behind you. You're not singing to me or Betty. You're singing to the Lord. And look, even if you don't know the words, just start humming, Okay. But let me get back to the text. I've been wanting to tell you that for a long time, and this was just an opportunity, okay? But folks, how could Jesus sing a hymn? Judas is getting ready to betray him. The disciples would soon deny him and forsake him. Soon he's going to go to trial. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be crucified on the cross. He is going to be put to death. How could Jesus be singing a hymn? 
You know how he could do it? Because he knew he would be in the center of the Father's will. Listen to this. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou to show me the path of life in thy presence. Look at this phrase. In thy presence there is fullness of joy, and thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Folks, when we are in the center of God's will, there is a joy about being in his presence. And even though it demanded that Jesus would give his life, he knew that being on the cross, he would be in the center of the Father's will, and he would be in his presence. And that brought him joy. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, how can you and I as Christians persevere in a day in which we feel like uh, being a Christian is being looked down upon? How can you and I take a stand? How can you and I find joy? Because in the presence of God, there is joy. And folks, knowing that one day we'll be with God forever, the joy that Jesus had was because he knew he could see beyond the cross. And let me read some verses to you. John chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. Jesus, praying to the Father, says, I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now listen to verse 5. And now, Father, glorify thou me in thine own presence with the glory which I had with thee before the world began. Jesus knew that beyond the cross was a resurrection and glory. And regardless of the cost and demands of discipleship for you and I as Christians, whatever we have to face beyond that is the glory of God. And that's where real joy comes for the child of God. So Jesus sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And then in verse 31, back in Matthew 25, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, Jesus always quoted scripture. And Jesus here is quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, where it says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus knew that when he was taken, his disciples would fall away that night. But listen to verse 32. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Folks, listen to this. Jesus knew that they would fall away, but he says, I'm going to give you a second chance. After I'm raised up, I'll meet you in Galilee. Well, apparently Peter does not understand or either he was not listening. He might have been listening, but he did not hear what the Lord Jesus said. And so in verse 33, Peter declares to him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Folks, let me ask you something. Have you ever said something that you regretted later? You see, Peter at this moment does not know what lay before him, but the Lord Jesus did. I dare say, and I'm speaking of myself, there are many of us seated in this sanctuary this morning that have said we were going to do some things for the Lord that we have not yet done. We need to be careful and humble when we tell what we're going to do for the Lord. And again, 
I know from my own experience that there's some things that I've said I'm going to do for the Lord that I have not yet done. But thanks be to God, he gives us a second chance. Jesus, as God, already knew that Peter would deny him. So in verse 34, again back in Matthew 25, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter, in verse 35, said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Now, folks, again, Peter puts his foot in his mouth for a second time. In verse 33, he said, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And then in verse 37, he says, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of the disciples said the same thing. But let me point some things out. Before you and I judge and criticize Peter and the disciples, let's examine our hearts, okay? Have there been times that we haven't kept our promises to Christ? And right now, are we in disobedience to Christ in a part of our Christian life? Now, again, I'm not trying to stand in the pulpit and beat you down because I struggle myself. How about in the area of discipleship, Christian growth, and developing a life that has Bible study, a life that includes prayer, a life that includes church and worship attendance, a life that includes service for Jesus and witness for him and stewardship of all that we had? You know, a lot of times people don't, and none of us can understand what being a Christian is going to really demand when we begin serving the Lord. But Jesus never told his disciples and he's never told you and me that following him would be easy. Quite the contrary. Let me just give you a couple of passages of scripture. Mark chapter 8 verse 34. And look at how this is worded. And he called to him the multitudes with his disciples. Listen, the demands of discipleship is not just for those 12 disciples. It's not just for the leaders in the church. It is for everybody. And listen to what Jesus said. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, folks, that's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his expectations of us. But, folks, again, where did Jesus find the peace and joy in the center of the will of God? And, folks, you and I will find when you and I are denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following the Lord Jesus, we experience life to its fullest. And I'm expecting a weak amen, but would you say amen? amen? Amen. Folks, that's where it's at. Listen to what Jesus said also in Mark 10, 43 and 44. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be greater among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. It is in the life of giving ourselves away that we are truly blessed. It is when we become more concerned about serving others than serving ourselves. It is when we are giving ourselves away, our God-given talent. When we give our time to, to the Lord and to others, it is when we are doing the most with our life. But folks... Listen to what Jesus told Peter according to Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. And I want you to just write these verses down because these are very powerful verses. 
And Luke is the only one that records these verses, okay? And it's in the context uh, of Jesus telling Peter, you're going to deny me. Listen to this. Luke 22:31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. Folks, these are some incredible verses. Satan demanded to have Peter, that he might sift him like wheat. And let me give you some points to ponder about this. If Satan tempted the Lord Jesus as a man, and the Bible points out very clearly that Jesus was tempted not just after his baptism, but I believe that Jesus was tempted all throughout his life, all throughout his ministry because he was a man. If Satan will tempt the Lord Jesus as a man, Satan will seek to tempt and destroy the witness of every born-again Christian, including you and me. You and I are going to be bombarded with temptation. But please notice also in verse 31, the personal pronoun here, you, is plural. And that means Jesus is not only speaking to Peter that he will be tempted, but all the disciples will be tempted even as Judas was tempted. And let me bring that up to our moment right now. If you're not a Christian today, you're going to be tempted by Satan to reject the claims of Jesus to be your Savior. Satan is going to try and tell you that preacher's telling you a lie. The Bible is telling you a lie. Your Christian parents, your Christian spouse, your Christian children, they're all lying to you. You cannot find peace and happiness and forgiveness through Jesus. Satan's going to do that to the non-believer. But he's also going to tempt the Christian, the believer, to abandon and neglect the Lord in our relationship with him. And folks, I hope some of you are thinking, well, it, it would be so much easier if God just wouldn't allow Satan to tempt us. But folks, God allows Satan to tempt us within certain limits. I don't fully understand this. But see, since you and I were created with freedom of choice and to choose, Satan is allowed to tempt us, but only by God's permission. And an example of this is the man Job in the Old Testament. The devil is not free to do what he wants with the people of God, but he is free to tempt the people of God. But folks, look at this verse. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, plural, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen the brethren. What does that mean? Jesus, as our heavenly intercessor, prays for us. Listen to this. This is Hebrews 7.25, and you might want to underscore this verse in your Bible. Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Folks, underline that. Jesus lives to make intercession for us. Our Lord is praying that we will be faithful, we will persevere. Our Lord is praying for those that are not yet saved, that they'll turn from the temptation of Satan to reject the gospel and believe the gospel. Go back, Fran. I didn't read verses 33 and 34, did I, out of Luke 22. Forgive me, okay? 
And back in Luke 22, Jesus said, uh, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you three times deny that you know me. Jesus knew all this would happen, so he is praying for Peter. Folks, let me pause for just a second. And as I was preparing this message, here's a reality that struck me. All of us, every single one of us, in this room, on this planet, are under bombardment from Satan. Even as Christians, we're under bombardment from Satan. And you and I need to stop condemning each other. And I thought about this, even our children and others that fall to temptation and rebel against God because all of us could be in the same boat. Should we not follow the example of our Lord and pray for them and point out Scripture to them to help them in their moments of temptation? And I've got these verses out of line, friend, but how about fast forward to 1 Corinthians 10, 12? Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, so often as Christians, we get caught up in the thinking, well, I'd never do that. We probably told somebody that, haven't we? I'm guilty of telling my children, well, I'd never do what you did. How do we know we won't? Is our life over yet? But folks, how do we deal with this constant bombardment by Satan? Go back one. Friend, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is a, a verse you need highlighted in your Bible. You probably already got it. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you, look at this, he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, folks, listen to what Paul is saying. God is not going to keep us from being tempted, but God is going to give us the strength that when the temptation comes, we'll have an escape through him and we'll be able to endure. But folks, let me point something out. If we reject the grace of God in Christ's intercession, intercession, then we'll fall to temptation as Christians. As a person who's never come to faith in Christ, if you keep listening to the devil and not listening to Christ, guess what? You'll never turn to the Lord. You'll think that you're safe. So many people think that they're safe by their church membership and being baptized and shaking a preacher's hand. If you have not asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, Satan has blinded you. And folks, just some more thoughts. These men had been with Jesus in many of his trials, and now he would not forsake them in his trials, in their trials. And the Lord says to Peter, Peter, your courage is going to fail, but not your faith. And back again in Luke 22, verse 32, Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. How many times has the Lord prayed that prayer for you and me? And in verse 32 of that same passage, Jesus says, and when you have turned again, and the King James translates that when you have been converted, and the Greek word here means to be turned around. And as one writer put, Peter was already a saved man, but he would soon start going in the wrong direction, and he'd have to be turned around. 
He would not lose the gift of eternal life, but he would disobey the Lord and jeopardize his discipleship. Many of us are at that place, aren't we? We need to be turned around as Christians. Folks, I'm getting ready to conclude. So what does happen? What does happen? Well, you and I know, first of all, that Peter denied the Lord just as he had said three times. And we're going to put up on the overhead Matthew 26, verses 69 to 75. And I want to just read this because we need to verify this, okay? This is in Scripture. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a maid came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them. That's number one, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the porch... Another maid saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus, and again he denied it. Number two, with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you also are one of them, for you, your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. The third time, just as Jesus said, and immediately the cock crowed. And Peter remembered the sayings of Jesus before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. But Jesus also said the other disciples would also run for cover. In Matthew 25, 56b, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Now, folks, let me stop right here. Please hang with me. Got a point. I'm just about finished. Does the gospel record, the New Testament, end there? Is that it? Story ends. Jesus had been a great teacher, great man, dies on the cross. His disciples have forsaken him, have fled, and that's it. Close the book. It's over. What happens? I love to tell this part. Three days, just as he said, Jesus rose from the dead. In Matthew 28, 7, when Jesus is raised from the dead, he tells the women what? Look at this, 28, 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, lo, I have told you. And folks, listen to Mark 16, 7. And this is just a verse that just thrills my soul. But go tell his disciples, and who else? Peter, the one who had denied him three times. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a second chance. You and I know that those 11 men given a second chance turned their world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just because we have failed or denied the Lord or not done everything yet that he wants us to do does not mean it's over. Folks, some of us have stopped running before the end of the race. I haven't watched much of the Olympics, but I want to tell you, I found something out. If you don't run the full race, you don't know where you're going to finish up. We need to get back in the race and get going again. All of us, me included. Praise God. Jesus gave them a second chance, and he wants to give us a second chance. Look, as I close in prayer... And my desire is never to manipulate anybody. 
For Christians, the altar is going to be open. It's, it's just between you and God. If you need to come down here, if there's something you feel like you need a second chance with the Lord, the altar's here. He's here. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, whether it is today or sometime in the future, I hope that you'll make the decision to do that. Regardless of what you have done in the past, our Lord Jesus loves you. And he died on the cross to set you free from whatever's holding you slavery. And this might be the day that he's saying to you, come to me, come to me, and I'll give you salvation. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. As I pray before the hymn of invitation, would you pray as a non-believer and ask Jesus to come into your heart and become a believer and follower of him. Let us pray. Father, I am so grateful for your love for us. Lord, I pray most of all for those that might be here that have not yet turned to Jesus. I pray even in these moments that they might cry out to him and confess that they are a lost sinner, but they believe today that they can be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that they'll ask you to come into their heart and be their Savior and Lord. And, Father, for us as Christians, Lord, I thank you that you give us a second chance. I thank you that it's not about being saved because we already know you, but it's about being in the middle of center of your will. So I pray, Father, that during these moments of invitation, that if we as Christians need a second chance, that your spirit will lead us, Lord, to accept that, that second chance you give us to serve you and to finish the race that you've given us to run for you. Have your way and your will in these moments of invitation. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.